Isaiah 43, 1 through 7 says this. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice in your word. God, we are thankful that you have spoken to your people. Lord, we're mindful that this word was not written to us, but we are so aware that in our lives and in our experience of distance from you, these truths are written for us, that we can receive these same truths, that our hearts need to hear the same things that Israel needed to hear in the exile. And so God, we pray that we would hear your voice afresh to us today, that we would hear you speaking to your church, God. So make our ears attentive and our hearts receptive and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, about a year ago, I came across a quote from novelist Kurt Vonnegut, and it stuck with me ever since. In an interview, Vonnegut reflected on the idea of a home. He said, where is home? I've wondered where home is, and I realized it's Indianapolis. When I was nine years old, I had a brother and a sister, a cat and a dog, and a mother and a father and uncles and aunts, and there is no way I can get there again. This idea of home that Vonnegut is describing is not a place. It's not even the people in that place. It's the people and the place in a particular season of his life when his identity was most formally shaped. And because of that, that place is gone. That place is lost. Vonnegut says it is a place to which he can never return. In light of that, where would home for you be? Maybe, maybe home wasn't your actual house. Maybe it wasn't your family. Maybe, maybe home wasn't a safe place for you. But where was the place that you knew above all else you belonged? You belonged. You were safe there. All was right in the world. See, I grew up in Lompoc, California. And as much as I don't like to claim it, my home is Lompoc for better or for worse. I'm about 16, 17 years old. My homework is done. I'm, I'm, I'm in my room listening to music. I can smell my mom's cooking. I can hear my dad's truck turning around the corner of the street. There is no place in life where I am most safe than I was 
at home. See, I can go back to Lompoc. I can go back to that house. My mom still lives there. I can go up to my old bedroom. I can't go back home. I will never experience that same feeling of, of, of safety and belonging and, 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 and carefree well-being. Many people make great efforts in life to restore to themselves a world where they are safe, to restore to themselves a world where they belong, where they're home. And yet that feeling of home, doesn't it often just feel like it continues to evade us? The truth is we will most likely all experience the disorientation that comes from feeling displaced from feeling unbalanced, from feeling far from home. It can be uncomfortable. It can be disorienting. Change and loss take us out of the world where we felt safe and into the unknown. And it can feel like a roller coaster. That moment on the roller coaster where you begin to experience weightlessness and so you grab the bar on your lap. You grab for anything to just make you feel some form of security. And I believe what God wants us to do is to know that he is that bar across our lap, that he is the one that we can cling to, that in him we have our home. As a church, we're preparing to enter a season of potential disorientation due to displacement. This has been our home for more than 19 years, and it's not going to be anymore. And so that can be confusing. It can be disorienting and make us uncomfortable. But today, we are in a text that is written to a people experiencing something very similar. See, Israel is in exile They're away from their home. But when we think about exile, I'm not convinced we quite understand the severity of Israel's situation. So you might be familiar with exile as a punishment for a crime. Um, Someone in order to, you know, avoid capital punishment back in the yesteryear, they received exile. And so they were you know, kicked away, uh, sent away from their, their, their home, never to be able to return. And that was a punishment for their crime. But in the ancient world, exile was practiced by many conquering nations as a military strategy for ethnic cleansing. See, exile was taking an entire people group away from their home, away from their regions, away from their lands, away from their centers of worship, away from their community, away from their livelihood, so that the only way they could survive apart from selling themselves into slavery was to immerse themselves in the culture, to marry Babylonian men and women, to worship at their temples, to effectively lose their distinctive identity as God's people. So what Babylon is doing by deporting all of the Israelites into Babylon is to wipe the remembrance of Israel from the face of the map. 
Babylon is trying to extinguish their identity. And so imagine, if you will, being an Israelite in exile. These two words together would not make sense to the mind of an Israelite. An Israelite in exile? We are God's people. We don't lose our home. God has given us our home. The home is ours. It belongs to us as an inheritance. Imagine being an Israelite in exile. You've been told your whole life that you're a member of God's chosen people. You've heard the stories of the 10 plagues in Egypt, how God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and miraculously through the Red Sea and into freedom and gave them their law on, on Sinai and then, and then brought them through the wilderness for 40 years and fed them manna from heaven and then brought them into the promised land again by miraculously bringing them across the Jordan River. And you've heard these stories time and time again about how even during the period of judges, God would come and deliver his people from anyone who was oppressing them. But here you are, undelivered, in exile. Imagine that experience. I imagine it would be easy to think that all these stories that you've ever been told were about, about being God's chosen people, about being his special possession, if that were ever true, it certainly was well in the past. Or maybe at worst, it was just a figment of your imagination. Because here you are, undelivered, in exile, waiting for God to make good on his promises to your people. See, maybe you're here today and you can relate. Maybe you remember an incredible work that God did in your life at one time. And you're wondering, God, could you do it again? God, would you do that again? God, would you remind me again who you are? Would you show me again how powerful you are? This thing that you did in my life, this thing that I remember, this thing that my friends talk about, this thing that transformed me, this thing that you did, and I can't deny, would you do it again? Because if not, maybe it was just a figment of my imagination. Maybe you're here today and you're desperate to experience what God has once done in your life. You're desperate to experience it again. Why do I remain in my seat, feeling so distant from God and undelivered? See, this text was not written to us, but that doesn't mean it can't speak to us. The same truths that God shares with Israel are the truths that our hearts need to receive today, both individually and corporately. And so when we encounter our own exile, our own uh, uh, disillusionment, our own discouragement, our own displacement, when we feel like God is so far away, like Israel, we need to be reminded of our identity. See, in the very situation that was designed to destroy Israel's identity, God reminds them of who they are. 
Listen to all these statements that God makes that remind the people who they are. Verse one, you're created by God, formed by God, redeemed by God, named by God. They belong to God. That's verse one. Verse two, protected by God. Verse three, they are valuable to God, more valuable than great kingdoms. They are ransomed by God. Verse four, they are precious to God. They are honored by God. They are loved by God. Verse five, God is with them. Verse six, they are children of God that God is calling to come home. Verse seven, they are known by his name and were created for his glory. When we feel so distant from God, church, we need to be reminded of our identity, an identity that we have not created for ourselves, but one that is born out of the very nature and character of God, who by his grace has called you to belong to him. The fundamental aspect of the identity of the people of God is just that we're his. God looks at his people. He looks at you. Whatever your experience is, whatever your suffering is, whatever your tragedy or your fear is, he looks at you and he says, mine, you are mine. No matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've strayed, you are mine. There's a beautiful scene. I love the, the uh, 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 Dallas Jenkins' um, The Chosen. Anyone seen The Chosen? Okay, I love the way The Chosen incorporates this gospel truth with, with uh, uh, a historical narrative and, and brings us into what it must have been like to actually talk to Jesus as he walked on this planet. And the very, I have wept my way through this series. The very first time was the very first episode when I began reading Isaiah 43. Many of you recognized it as the verse that Mary was taught by her father. Mary Magdalene in The Chosen is experiencing her own exile. She is spiritually tormented feels cut off from God, refuses to use her given name and goes by a false identity. And just when she's ready to give up on God, Jesus shows up and says, you, Israel, who I've formed, who I've made, I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. And in that moment, that false identity is washed away and Mary is restored. At some degree or another, we are all in need of this transformation of identity, this recognition of who we are, that we are no longer the things that we used to be. We are no longer the things that we say of ourselves, that we are not the things that the enemy tells us we are. We are gods. We belong to God. We are his. It's apostrophe S. You are not gods. You belong to God. Just want to state that for the sound bites. My pastor said, I'm a God. No, I didn't. You belong to God. And God will never 
give up on his people. But that doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. See, many of us, we go, yes, I'm a Christian. I belong to God. And then life gets hard and you're like, forget you, God. Because we expect that life is going to be easy. If God is for me, who can be against me? And we experience difficulty. We experience adversity. And we throw in the towel. See, belonging to God doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Jesus belonged to God. Doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. And God warns them of the upcoming struggle. See, we don't like to struggle. We'll do anything to avoid struggle. In fact, we even believe that if we're good enough, if we're smart enough, if we have enough money, that we can actually, uh, you know, circumvent trials and hardship in life. Or if God was good enough, or if God was powerful enough, then we wouldn't experience these things. But God warns them that difficulty is coming. And so difficulty is not something that can be avoided. Difficulty is something that must be prepared for. I spent uh, several days this week in Minnesota for my wife's grandmother's funeral. Wonderful 92-year-old woman, faithful in the Lord all of her life. Just a beautiful, beautiful story. And we were there for the first snow of Minnesota that Minnesota had just this last week. Um, Y'all, I've never experienced cold like that. And it wasn't even as cold as it gets there. It was only like 16 degrees and people are like, just wait till you experience negative 20. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm texting Aaron Cronin, our worship leader, who's from Minnesota. And he's like, I miss the cold. And I was like, liar. <laughs> Nobody enjoys the cold. They endure the cold. They have to. They're forced to. All of my, my uh, uh, you know, wife's relatives are saying, you guys are crazy. We're living in California, it's so expensive. I'm like, small price to pay. 360 days of sunshine. <laughs> Very small price to pay. See, you have to prepare for winter there. You have to, get your, you have to change the tires on your car. There is something called winterizing. Californians know nothing about winterizing, where you have to like drain all the fluids in your boat and your tractors and your, your car so it doesn't freeze and burst the pipes. Aaron just told me this morning that if you go on vacation, you know how you have dog sitters? Uh, you, have to, you have to go and have like, like plumbing sitters. They have to let your water run for multiple minutes just so it doesn't freeze in your house. Are you kidding me? California is like, I love the winter. I get to wear my, you know, I get to wear my sweaters. You know, hashtag flannel season. Or like, you prepare for winter by wearing a thicker wetsuit. When you're surfing in water that's not frozen over. Amen. Amen. I'm so weak. I can't do, I can't do the cold. I can't do it. So much effort goes into preparing to endure the cold. And so what I'm saying is we cannot avoid difficulty. We must prepare for it like a Minnesota winter. It's coming. It's around the corner every year. My wife's grandmother is the strongest woman I know. She survived 92 Minnesota winters by preparing every year. 
It's coming. Difficulty is coming. God warns them that difficulty is coming. Not just the difficulty that they're already in. He says more is coming. And in the same way that people are strengthened by a lifetime of living in the cold, God's people are strengthened and purified by adversity. And so when we find ourselves in seasons of exile, this disorientation from displacement and change, We not only need to be reminded of our identity, but we need to be refined from our impurity. And God uses difficulty. Isaiah uses three metaphors right here that would indicate, that would bring to mind, in the minds of the people, all kinds of of things. He, He uses three metaphors, the passing through water, passing through a river, and passing through fire. Now, in the Bible, passing through water and fire is a picture of purification. It's purification. Water removes dirt from surfaces and fire removes impurities in metals. You would would put the metal to fire and it would melt and all the impurities in the metal would come to the surface. You scrape the impurities off and what you are left with is more pure gold than you started with or more pure silver than what you started with. And so fire uh, and water, they cleanse and they purify. And God says, you're going to go through water but it's, it's not going to, it's not going to overtake you. You're going to go through a river, but it's not going to flood you. You're going to go through fire, but it's not going to burn you. You will not be consumed. You are going to be tested, but you are going to be purified. And so the result as they experience the difficulty of exile, as they experience the challenges there, they are going to not only be reminded of their identity, but they're going to be refined from their impurity. Remember, in Israel's case, they were in exile because of their sin. God told them that if they uh, abandoned the law and worshiped other gods, that he would remove them from the land. And they abandoned the law and worshiped other gods. And so the prophets, they're, you know, they're looking at the scriptures. It says that if we do these things, we're in trouble. Y'all are doing these things. You might want to watch out. I think God's going to do something here. And it fell on deaf ears. They didn't listen to the prophets. Do you know that the, the, the prophets in our Bible were not read or received as God's word until after the exile? When they were in exile, they were like, I think Isaiah was onto something. And so they started valuing God's word and and, and receiving it for themselves. And so they're in exile because of their sin. And in a way, humanity is essentially, we have been in exile since our sin in the Garden of Eden. We've been talking about this in our Genesis series. Eden was our home, but because of sin, we were exiled. We were removed from God's presence in Eden, banished from the garden. And so one of the reasons we experience this distance from God, one of the reasons we experience this feeling of displacement, like we can't find our home in our relationship with God, the reason it doesn't always feel like God is with us is because of sin. Now, I'm not saying that every hardship, every Uh, suffering is a result of a specific sin. That's not what I'm saying. 
We do know from Scripture that all suffering is a result of sin. Generally, because of sin, the world has been subjected to futility and and pain and hardship. But that doesn't mean all suffering is a result of a specific sin. Like, this is happening in your life because you sinned and so, like, you've been smote. At the same time, we can't just disregard that it might be. We can't just completely neglect to ask the question that, God, am I experiencing this because of some error in me? Some way in me that does not glorify you. And so we have to ask, in our suffering, God, is there any sin in the camp? Is there any sin in my heart? Is there any sin among your people that needs to be confessed, that we need to repent of? We can't neglect to ask that question. And it can be a terrifying question to ask. In fact, if it weren't for the assurance of our identity that has been given to us by God's grace, I think it would be impossible to pray for purity. See, what some of you are hearing me say is that we need to be purified in order to be God's precious possession. But that's not what Isaiah says. He says you are precious, so be purified. You already are precious to God because you are God's chosen possession, because you are God's people. You can come to God in security and say, God, if there be any wicked way among me, restore in me a clean heart. Restore in me a right spirit. Cleanse me, wash me, purify me. God, I give you my heart. Point out the ugliness. Point out what ought not be there because I trust you that you're not going to judge me. You're not going to rub my nose in it. You're going to purify me. You're going to cleanse me. God has already declared his people to be precious. And so we can ask him to search our hearts because we know that he loves us. See, look, if you stink, you need a bath. You can try to cover it up with all kinds of other scents and smell like a junior high locker room, but just take a bath. For me, when I was in junior high, it was brute. All the, all the, all the junior high boys, just way too much brute and sweat and teenage angst. Stinky. Just take a bath. So if there's something in our lives that shouldn't be there, we can make excuses. We can try to cover it up with good works. We can try to cover it up with, uh, with, with church, with worship, with all of these different things. But just take a bath. Just repent. Just confess that to God. He knows it. He sees it. He still calls you precious. He loves you. Just Repent. Repentance is turning from our sin and turning toward obedience to Christ. Because of grace, because we are saved by grace, we can repent. And so we need to ask God, if there is sin in the camp, would you expose it that I may repent of it and be cleansed from it? We can't distract ourselves of it. We can't shift blame from ourselves onto other people or onto church or onto God, we can acknowledge our sin, confess and repent. Peter says, repent so that times of refreshing may come. So some of you 
are, are desperate for refreshing, but resistant to repentance. And I'm just telling you, you're not going to have one without the other. You're not. But that's okay, because God invites you to be cleansed of it. To simply confess. Confession is just agreeing with God. Yes, this is sin. It's not okay. And repentance is turning from that and just pursuing the beautiful things that Jesus has for you instead of the things he wants, uh, he's, he's declared to be dangerous for you. And so confess, repent, be refreshed, be purified. This is the work that God does in Israel through their exile. He reminds them of who they are, that they're his children. and He purifies them of their sin and their rebellion. And so like a fragrant oil or perfume, as you experience greater purity, it results in increased potency. And as we experience our sin being forgiven and as we experience ourselves being conformed more and more to the image of Christ, we will find ourselves being filled more and more by the spirit of, of Christ and the spirit of his power and operate in an increased potency. And as the world watches how God works on behalf of his people, it gives off this aroma to the rest of the world and it draws God's people back to himself. This is one of the most beautiful things that happens as, as we encounter exile, as, as Israel encountered exile, that through faith, they actually encounter God and, the, and, 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 and their people are drawn back to God. So it was in exile that they realized that God doesn't just live in the temple in Israel. Ezekiel was a prophet who was carried away into exile. And as he sat by the rivers of Babylon, he had this vision of God's presence leaving the temple and coming into Babylon. And they recognized, no, God is the God of the whole universe. That God is not contained by temple walls. That God is everywhere. And if God has left Israel to be with his people in exile, then we can encounter God even when we feel as though we're far from him. And so God goes with his people. God is with his people. And he's with us. He's with you. Even when you can't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. We just sang these songs before. He's with you. And the most beautiful thing that God does is that in exile, we can encounter God. When we're confident in our identity, when we're cleansed of our impurity, then we can be restored to our intimacy with God. God says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The power that God works in his people through what they experience in exile, will result in all of God's children returning home in him. And God fulfills this promise. See, he brought Israel out of exile. 
He brought them back into their land. He brought them back to Jerusalem. He rebuilt Jerusalem. The temple was rebuilt. Life was restored again to the land of God's people. In fact, you could call it revival. Life was restored to the place where life had been removed and taken off into a foreign land. But there was still a problem. See, Israel was in exile long before they were ever taken into captivity. They were spiritually distanced from God. See, coming back to the land doesn't undo the fact that they had abandoned the law and they were worshiping other gods. They were, they were living exiled from God's presence. And so it was through the exile, the physical exile, that God reminded them of the spiritual exile that they were operating within so that they would come to their senses and remember who they are and be purified and ultimately be restored to that intimacy with God. And so in the same way, we can come to church and we can feel like we have a place here, like we sit in our same seats every week and we sing the songs and we see the same people. And this is what I do on Sunday mornings. But if you continue to live in sin and rebellion against God, you'll never experience the intimacy that God offers you. The intimacy that God desires for you. And so even after Israel returned to the land, they needed to be uh, returned to God. Not even exile could atone for the sins of the people. And so Jesus came to make a way. Jesus came to make a way through exile. Jesus came to close the gap of distance that we feel between ourselves and God. Jesus came to enter our exile, to enter our experience. Jesus came to deliver us from our exile, not through water or through fire, but through death. See, the greatest exile, the greatest separation from God is not from going from Israel to Babylon. The greatest separation from God is is not even the, the distance that we experience in this life. The greatest separation from God is dying in our sins and being exiled from his presence for eternity. And so Jesus took that exile on your behalf. He is the one that passed through death, that came out victorious on the other side. He is the one that took your exile so that you could receive his homecoming. He is the one that made the way for the prodigal son to return so that the father would run to him and embrace him and kiss him and put the signet ring on his hand and restore him to his rightful place in the family. See, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but Jesus is the one who took the death that you deserved so that you could have the life that you don't deserve. The only reason you can sit in this place and those identity statements that we read apply to you is through faith in Jesus. It is only because the blood of Christ that you are his, that you can belong to him, that you can be loved, that you can be declared precious, that you can be honored. See, here's the thing. God says, Israel, I would trade Egypt for you. 
I would trade Cush and Sheba for you. I would trade the most powerful earthly kingdoms. I would ransom you with their wealth. I would ransom you with their lives. And we know that he is not lying because God would ultimately trade himself for you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords and the eternal riches of God's heavenly kingdom. God says, I will trade heaven for you. And he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God traded his son for you so that you could be his son. So that you could be his daughter. Why would you sit in your sin? Why would you sit in your distance from God when God has given you every reason to be accepted by him? You don't have to be afraid sitting there thinking right now of what it would be like to confess that sin that you've been hiding and the shame and the distance that you would feel, the way people will look at you and wag their finger at you. No, God traded his son for you so that he could take that thing from you. The darkness that the enemy makes you sit in in your shame is so much worse than actually bringing it into the light and experiencing refreshing. Be cleansed. Be restored to the intimacy with God that your heart longs for. God has traded himself for you. So that you would live and not die. So that you would live in honor and not shame. So that you would live in light and not darkness. He says, I would trade kingdoms for you. And he did. His own. So that you could find a home in him. And so now in Christ, we are returned from our exile. In Christ, we are cleansed from our sin. In Christ, we have passed from death to life. In Christ, we are home. And so if you're encountering a season of exile, or as our church, as we approach a a potential disorientation from being displaced from the place that we call home, it may be scary, but I want to encourage you to press into Jesus and let him accomplish his work in you. Let him accomplish his work in us. You will come out stronger. You will come out cleaner. You will come out more confident in your identity, and you will come out with, with a, a deeper intimacy with the Lord. You'll be returned to God. Some of you have been feeling distant from God for a while. And this is an invitation to you to return home. To, to come back to the Lord, to come back to his presence. Maybe you've not left him intellectually. You've always said, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe these things. But you've been far from home. You've been far from your family. You've been far from the people of God. You've been far from that intimacy. You've not prioritized the, the gathering of the saints. You've not prioritized worship. You've not prioritized prayer. You've not prioritized the word of God. Look, God doesn't, shame you. He doesn't shake his head. He doesn't wag his finger at you. He runs to you. And if you would return to him, he would embrace you. And it would be like you never left. 
I want to encourage you, exhort you, return to God. Return to Christ. Return to the faith that you've been missing. But I also want to close our time with an exhortation to those of you who feel like you've not left. That you've been faithful. And you know what? Praise God for that. Praise God for his grace in your life that through COVID, through, you know, all kinds of turmoil and and division that, that you have not grown weary, that you have not grown jaded and cynical, that you have remained somewhere in a house of God, not necessarily reality, but just you've remained in church. Maybe you're here and you're visiting. I'm glad that you're with us. But I have an exhortation for you. See, I've been praying that God would prepare his church for a revival of the prodigals. I haven't, I haven't been here quite two years. And I'm telling you what, it is beginning to grieve my heart, to pain me the number of times I meet people in this town who say, I used to go to church. I used to go to reality. I used to go here. I used to go there. I used to believe. So many of God's people living in exile. You know them. They're your friends. They're your family. Maybe it's you. And I'm praying that God would gather his children. I'm praying that God would return them to himself. But here's my exhortation. God wants you to do it. God wants you to go to them. God wants you to call them to return. God wants you to go to them and remind them of their identity. God wants you to go to them and remind them of of the, the purity that he wants to call them to. That they're not too far gone. God wants you to put on display the beautiful intimacy that is available in union with Jesus. God, as as he sent Jesus into this world to draw people to himself, God is sending you into Carpinteria and the coastlands to draw the prodigals back to himself. Speak up. Encourage. Invite. I know that it can be difficult to invite people to church. It can be significantly more difficult to invite people to a church that you know is entering a season of uncertainty. But this is not about inviting people to reality. Okay, hear me now. This is not about inviting people to reality. This is about inviting people back to Jesus. And so you are sent. Go and bring the prodigals home. And when they get here, make it a home.
Okay? Don't isolate yourselves. Don't cloister yourselves off in these little exclusive cliques and comfort zones. But blow the doors open on your friend groups and on your communities because what God has given you is a beautiful foundation to, to, to invite others into so that they can experience that communion, so that they can experience that, that, that fellowship. See, one reason why I think we're delayed in experiencing this invitation, this revival of prodigals, is because I'm afraid if they showed up, they wouldn't find it a home. They wouldn't find the father running to them. They'd find an elder brother outside complaining. Will you welcome them? Not just into a building, but into your life. Will we welcome them into our church? Will we welcome them into our family? Will we welcome them into our community? Will we welcome them into our time? I believe that God wants a revival of the prodigals to return his children from exile back into deep and beautiful intimacy with himself. But I believe that he wants to use his church to do it. And I believe that we need to be prepared to walk in it. And so listen up. If we have to lose our building so that the prodigals will find their home in God, should have gave it up yesterday. If we have to step outside of our comfort zone so that people who are far from God can be brought near to God, no, no comfort is worth that. Allowing people to perish, allowing people to remain in death. And so, in reality, you have been ransomed by Jesus. You have been bought with his blood. Your life no longer belongs to you. And he is the one who left the 99 for the one. And so reality, may we be a people who willingly leaves the 99 to go after the one, to restore them from their exile and back into deep intimacy with Jesus. But we can't do that if we are not operating in intimacy ourselves. And so let's look to Jesus. I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team up to lead us in our time of response. And as I do, I just want to pray that God would stir us up, not only in our communion with him, but that even in this place, that prodigals would return home. Those who are distant would find themselves near to God. And then that we would, we would go from this place and bring all that we can find in with us. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. God, that you would restore your people to yourself. That you would restore us to yourself. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory. We were made for your glory. We were purchased by your blood for your glory. And so God, I pray that we would willingly leave our comfort zones, risk that feeling of exile, 
because we know that we're home in you. And we know that there are so many people that you long to draw back to yourself. So God, give us courage. Give us boldness. God, stir us up now as we rejoice in the one who brings us out of exile. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.